Welcome to Friday Night Live with me, Rob Counts, and tonight's special guest host, Simon Esler. We wanted to talk about something strange that's going on. Explorers over time have been going missing. The question is, what amazing things were they discovering when they vanished without a trace? Then in world news, the Chinese Communist Party is puffing its chest as it prepares for the worst. But maybe the CCP needs to look in the mirror because we already know it's the worst. Then we got orcas starting a coordinated attack on humans, UFOs flying further into mainstream awareness, and if that weren't enough, our top 10 weirder news of the week will really have you laughing. So join Simon and me as we dive into another Friday Night Live. The man, the myth, the Canadian. Yes. How Here you doing, Simon? I'm doing well, surviving China very healthily. Uh, well said. Well said. It's good. Yeah. Things are, uh, things are a little bit dark there uh, these days. Understood. Yeah. That's okay. <laughs> We've got a strong, happy family that just laughs at all of it. So That's great. And you yeah, kind of need cool. that, you know? It's I mean, the way. And if you can't find humor in things, I mean, what's the point, really, right? Absolutely. Plus, you get a good, you know, a good homeschool community, a good network of like-minded parents and the kids you know they just enjoy their days they don't really I yeah, don't talk to my know. kids about the darkness very much just what they see we work through but for them their lives are still very innocent and pure it's lovely yeah i mean you know it really does when it comes to kids right it just it's it's going to come down to parenting these days because yeah. th you can't avoid the crazy things that kids are going to see but then you what happens when they see it right well like for my kids it's a rainbow is still a rainbow you know, we haven't gone there because it's not relevant to them. But we did walk into the library today and there are just flags everywhere because, of course, Pride Month has begun. And, yeah. you know, I'm just leaving rainbows as rainbows. It's no hate, nothing like that. I just let, let it be. Yeah, I hear you. Well, you know, uh, we usually start out Friday Night Live um, with a few funny things that I found on Instagram or TikTok that I think are relevant to the show. And I wanted to show you a couple of things and get a reaction. Now, for those of you at home watching this, um, there's a couple of swear words in this one, but it's pretty hysterical. So if you got kids, just box their ears and check this out. Here's a little bit of New York City for you. Coming right at you. Oh, damn, I forgot the name of that shit. I know it boils up and it's like a shield. I for Arm Armadale, Armageddon, Ooh. some shit like that. Okay. That's not a deal. I don't know. Uh, Illuminati. Yeah, man. This is like smarter than the fifth grader type shit. A big ass squirrel Bruh. from Managasco. <laughs> what the fuck is that? Damn, that's from Managasco. Something from the Bronx. That's crazy. Oh, that's super nasty. One of them <laughs> niggas right there on 14th Street. Bruh. Hey, uh, <laughs> okay, so what's crazy is like you're ever in New York City and you go to 14th Street. There's a lot of people that look like whatever that was. <laughs> it's like walking around on crack or something. So like that yeah. was 
so accurate. <laughs> I'm yeah. sure there are, there are areas of Toronto where I could say the same thing. Yeah, right. Of course. I mean, at Toronto, big city. That's the biggest Canadian city, right? That's the New York City of of uh, of Canada, right there. So yep. you're gonna have a lot of fun stuff there. Um, oh, that's also, you know, Russell Brand's really been tearing it up recently. Very rational dude. Um, was on Joe Rogan recently and had a few things to say, and I think it's really interesting. So check this out. Okay. Guys, eat well. Yeah. I feel like even that is getting framed as a kind of a right wing, right wing. narrative now. Which to is bizarre. Look after and love your body. Over the last 50, 60 years, it, it, government has become increasingly corporatized. That democracy has become increasingly hollowed out and irrelevant. It just took a crisis event to reveal the extent to which that had taken place. But what I think you can demonstrate is over the last 50, 60 years, through lobbying and demonstrable means, corporations have had more and more ability to exert influence and downright control government policy regardless of which party is in power and then a crisis event took place and the momentum that carried it through like governments have a the governments like control that's what governments are about is authority but big uh, corporations like profit that's what they're about and those two things came together so that the solution that was suggested is well let's we can exert control through lockdowns and potentially coming as close as damn it to mandate in medicines they can benefit centralized authority is going to double down look for ways to smear dissenters censor create new categories like misinformation disinformation suddenly find acceptable views of five ten years ago and now not acceptable and are banned tolerance somehow decreasing under the veil of increasing tolerance literal orwellianism mm. the changing the meaning of words going back editing books stuff mm. that we've seen in yeah. dystopian sci-fi actually happening exercise eat well yeah. there it is. i yeah. mean what a rant that was a great rant great that was rant. great yeah he's on point it's yeah. nice because he woke up from you know being in the depths of hollywood so he has a lot of perspective he does and and yeah it's just nice it's just refreshing to to hear some levity over there. And, and I think, you know, I think Joe Rogan's been criticized a lot for maybe holding back a little bit, but actually, if you think about it, who's walking a finer line than that guy? Joe Rogan really? is on it, man. I gotta say he really, he stays way more neutral than I would be able to with the kind of stuff that he gets exposed to. He really does. Like I, I really admire what he's been able to do. And, it's been so beneficial because now he's like the biggest podcast in the world and you have so many people from different you know, ways of thinking that are willing to listen to what he says. What's insane about what Joe Rogan is doing, I think, is that it's appreciated by everyone in a time when nothing is appreciated by everyone. Yeah. It's like you're either you're either one thing or another these days, which I don't agree with. I think that it's way more complicated than that. And but somehow his show is like the sort of switzerland of of content where you can actually go in and hear some different <laughs> perspectives and it doesn't go all the way crazy but then it doesn't it doesn't hold back either in a way so yeah, very interesting it's all those psychedelics he did <laughs> maybe you know, you know like, even his brain out <laughs> it does bring those on quite a bit folks doing was, that that stuff it was funny uh the thing that russell brand was saying about like exercising and eating there was something trudeau said the other day he was saying that he's going to protect his son from the subtle misogyny that's hidden in bro and gym culture, which I thought was really funny. Yeah. Yeah. I don't quite understand what even, no. I'm not even sure. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. 
I don't I know. Think what try, yeah, and, try, and it's like historically speaking, trying to hide people from the world, regardless of what side you're on, never really works for the child. I mean, look at what happened with the Buddha. <laughs> you know, yeah. there's a prophecy. He's hidden from suffering his entire life. As soon as he sees suffering, he what becomes the Buddha. I mean, like yeah. that. Was the, you know, to make a long story short. All right, you got to see this. This is the, this is the beluga whale or spy. This is crazy. Yeah, this video is real and cute, and the story behind it is a lot less cute. First things first, that is a beluga whale, and they're pretty much everything we thought dolphins were. Cute, friendly, not on the list with Weinstein. They're also incredibly intelligent, and one beluga started getting clad after people noticed that he was a little too comfortable around people. The beluga, who they named Vladimir, with an H, instead of being shy and avoiding people like usual, he would actually seek them out and even let them feed, pet, and take selfies with him. And as you can see here, he even returned a phone after a woman dropped it in the water. And that wasn't even the only time Vlad would go viral for something like that. There was another instance where he was recorded returning a guy's dropped GoPro. Y'all can't tell me he didn't just wave at that man. And a couple months after that, he was seen playing fetch with a rugby ball. But this wasn't just Vlad being cute. There's a good chance he was trained to do all this. We now believe that Vladimir the Beluga was actually a spy trained by the Russian government. And no, I am not kidding. And we say that because he was first found wearing a camera harness. Russians obviously denied it, but the harness literally said property of St. Petersburg on it. So you're not beating those allegations. But yeah, TLDR, spy whale escapes Russian Navy, travels to Norway, becomes a local and then worldwide celebrity, the more you know. The truth behind it. <laughs> Only the Russians would weaponize a poor innocent beluga whale. I kind of admire the creativity on that. <laughs> I gotta say, that's like... That's some real yes. out of the box thinking. You know, if if there's going to be out of the box thinking anywhere, it's probably going to be uh, because of the Russians. That's really true. <laughs> like a beluga. Belugas are so disarming. <laughs> they are. It's like, yeah, if you're going to find any information about some some innocent Norwegians, use a beluga whale right there. Yeah, right away. It will immediately <laughs> work. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not sure if you heard this, uh, Simon, but Google Earth found a flying saucer near Prince Harry and Meghan Markle's $11 million mansion. You heard this? No, I would like to hear about this. Now, check this out. Like, Lindsay, scroll down a little bit. This took us a little while to figure out because this photo, okay? Now, that's the reported disc. What you have to understand here is that that disc is not on the ground. And you can tell because the shadow behind the disc is actually falling on the ground. See? Yes. So the sun is actually coming from that angle, right? And it's it's hitting exactly at that spot so you can see the shadow. So the flying saucer um, was near Prince Harry and Meghan Markle's Montecito mansion with the $11 million property nearby playing host to the extraterrestrial sighting. The area around the duo's home was explored by an eagle-eyed UFO hunter who came across a mysterious disc on Google Earth, which has the potential to embarrass NASA. Um, now, the alien investigator, so this is 11 million pounds, by the way, I said of dollars, my bad. So the alien investigator, uh, Tony Moreno, believes the phenomena could prove troublesome for an upcoming report by the space agency after months of research into unidentified objects. 
Okay, I watched a bit of that. That that whole the live stream they did. Yeah, yeah, it was. What did uh, you think? Uh, there were some interesting angles that I thought were kind of cool, but it just seemed a little bit like a like a limited hangout to me, considering the <laughs> decades of ufology research that are out there. They just constantly pretend like that stuff doesn't exist. Hey, Simon, can you can you explain for everyone at home what the term limited hangout means? Yes. Okay. So limited hangout is when there is, you know, an operation like a propaganda or a psychological operation where they are willing to release some information that is normally suppressed, something that has been suppressed from the public, but just enough of it to uh, allow people to believe that this is the full release when in fact that smaller release is what is being used to continue the cover up. Thank you. Actually, you know, <laughs> Lindsay, there's actually a few limited hangouts we're going to cover in, in this episode. So that's one of them. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. A uh, little, bit, little bit weird there. But also pretty interesting here that we've got, you know, a flying saucer uh, being found on Google Earth. I mean, there's so many weird things that Google Earth has found so far. They get covered up after a little while, but pretty interesting what, stuff what would the date on that be because that's that's got to be from a while back right because google does its scan um, like you know they have their yes. regular periods of gathering this info so that must have been from a while back i wonder if there's a date that we could ever find actually you should be able to track on google if it's still there it will tell you the date that that photo was taken uh-huh yeah i'm not sure God, if it's it looks like it has like markings that are so interesting i want to see it better it than probably looks we can looks to me like Navy markings, almost like the Enterprise. You know what I yeah. mean? Like yeah, I did that, think that. Yeah. yeah it it really looks does. like the disc on the front of the USS Enterprise, literally. Yeah, like they detached it, the saucer, the flying saucer section. Those yeah. were good episodes. I, you know, when they detached that saucer in Star Trek <laughs> Next Generation, those were great episodes. Well, you know, I got to say, the one thing that, that I thought was really interesting in the, just the brief bit of that, that NASA live stream that I saw, they were talking about the dilemma of how they want to be able to study UFOs more using all this incredible equipment they have. And they want to be able to point it to all these areas where they're fairly confident there's high UFO activity. Uh, but then they state that the big issue is that if they do that, they'll just be spying on everyone because they'll be looking in your backyard. And so they're talking about how do we balance all this surveillance technology we have that would help us get more information with the fact that we would just be breaching everyone's privacy to watch out for these UFOs. As if that's ever stopped them before. Exactly. I was like, oh, well, now you're actually addressing the issue that, of course, like I said, in the UFOlogy community, all of this has been talked about for so long. Yeah. Speaking of a limited hangout, that right there. Yeah. Ridiculous. Yeah. All right. Can so have, what, do we, what do we have here? What am I seeing here? Yeah, well, so there's some weird stuff going on here. Uh, have you heard the the reports of orcas, which are killer whales, going on attack recently? No, there's all these TikToks. Yeah, so actually, we're going to watch a couple of these. Uh, the third one's actually a little long. So there's four uh, clips here. We're going to watch three of them. Um, so Lindsay, why don't you pull up this first one? Let's check this out. This is interesting. A pod of orcas were spotted working together to sink three boats near Gibraltar, 
puzzling marine biologists who have suggested that the behaviour may be learned from one female orca named Gladys, who may have had a traumatic and painful encounter with a boat, such as a collision or being trapped during illegal fishing, and then helped teach the others how to team up and ram into boats with heavy blows. A witness said the younger orcas struck the boat from the back, while the large one rammed from the side. And two days earlier, six orcas attacked another sailboat, with the mother appearing to teach her calf how to ram into boats. Orcas are skillful hunters, yet no fatal attacks on humans by wild orcas have been recorded. There have been hundreds of mild encounters between orcas and boats in recent years in this area, where orcas remain endangered. Yeah, Whoa. so that's kind of the the start of this, but let's show that second one, Lindsay. It's for revenge and teaching others to do the same. Orcas, also known as killer whales, have attacked and sunk at least boats and yachts along the coast of Spain, and they appear to be teaching others to do it too. Scientists think the violent behavior started with a single orca, but is now spreading. The reason behind the seemingly coordinated attacks has been a mystery, but one expert believes the reason is simple, revenge. Alfredo Lopez Fernandez, a biologist at the University of Aveiro in Portugal, says a female named White Gladys may have suffered a critical moment of agony, such as colliding with a boat or being trapped during illegal fishing activities. This event may have traumatized her and caused her to start charging at other boats. Because orcas are extremely sociable animals, they could be passing on the behavior. White Gladys appears to have taught this aggressive behavior to other adult orcas, whose children have then begun imitating them. The same report also suggests the orca's behavior could be caused by loss of available prey or other disturbances. There are the undeniable facts. Whoa. Yeah, so you know what? Um, there's one more video that we're going to show, but before we do that, I have a different theory here. I think... Okay, so do you remember, tell me if I'm remembering this wrong. You've seen Jaws before, right? Yes. Okay, so the, in the first Jaws movie, what made them set up the story and make it so crazy was that at the beginning of the movie, at some point, a orca washes up on shore and it's like half eaten, Uh huh. right? And so yeah. they were making the point that whatever this thing was killed the apex predator in the ocean. So it has to be huge, like the famed Megalodon or something like that. Right. Yeah. Okay. So that I'm, what I'm thinking is now that's a side note, but what I'm thinking is what's more likely that Gladys had a traumatic experience or that Gladys had a child. The child got too close to a boat and the, the engine of the boat, killed the child and Gladys flipped remembered it because mm. they never forget anything and started teaching everyone else to to bash ships basically saying these things are dangerous it killed my child I mean there's nothing yeah. more you know dangerous than a mother that's upset about their child I think you know yeah that's like that whole you know when you get in between a, a mama bear and her cub in the woods you're done for yeah. And you know what? One of the reports, and I, we might actually see that next, but one of the reports say that uh, as some of these ships were trying to sail away from these orcas, they decided to just full stop and shut off the engine. And as soon as they shut off the engine, the orcas went away. Oh, OK. So they might be like acoustically drawn to like, well, the, it's, the, the it's trauma acoustic. of the sound of the engine. 
right or the enemy the is the the enemy is the propellers in other words so it killed uh -huh. the, yeah right that makes sense because like they, maybe they wouldn't attack like a sailboat exactly uh-huh okay so check this out this is how to survive a killer whale step one you don't if you end up nose to nose with an orca you're probably a goner but here are some tips to help you prevent from getting in that situation. You're gonna wanna cut your hair short. It's less for the whale to grab onto. Step three, if a pack of killer whales is attacking your boat, turn off the engine. In 2021, a boat was attacked by a pod of seven orcas, and it wasn't until they turned off their engines that the orcas lost interest and swam away. Step four, Boom. don't go near a dead killer whale on the beach. They could explode. Step five, leave the dog at home. Dogs look like killer whales, favorite snack, the sea lion. Would you fight off a whale just to save your dog? That's all I got. Good luck and don't be stupid. So the, the part that was most interesting in that was don't get close to a killer whale that's washed up on shore because it might explode. <laughs> yeah, that's like gross. All the, it's that's like crazy inside. Yeah. Like all the gases in there and you're like, you're going to check it out and then it just explodes all over you. Like that's insane. And that warning exists because people have been exploded upon by killer whales bodies. That's... <laughs> That's the best part. Yeah. <laughs> like, where's the footage of that? I want to see that. <laughs> Tilikum. Right. Oh, I see this. There's. You were saying that the this would happen to the whale Tilikum at SeaWorld. The whale was trying to play with the woman and grabbed her ponytail and accidentally drowned this woman. Oh, I see. That's why you should cut your hair. Well, yeah, that did happen. I remember that story. Dang. Yeah. Wow. Well, uh, Simon, we're going to we're going to pause for a second here for a little sponsor break. Uh, we're about to watch the trailer. But before we do, I'm excited to introduce our sponsor with all the censorship. We're so happy that a great product wants to support us. And it's also something we believe in and that we can actually get behind. As we all know, it feels a lot like 2008 all over again when millions of Americans watch their retirement savings disappear. Well, gold and silver can protect your savings from inflation and dollar devaluation. But when it comes to buying precious metals, you need the right company in your corner. That's why we've partnered with the top-rated precious metals company, GoldCo, because reputation matters. GoldCo has helped people like you and me place over $1 billion in gold and silver. If you have a retirement account, they're offering our supporters up to $10,000 in free silver when opening a qualified IRA account. And for cash buyers, you can get bonus silver just for making a purchase. If you buy $50,000 worth of precious metals, you get $5,000 in bonus silver. And if you buy $100,000 worth, you'll get $10,000 in silver. This is your opportunity to protect yourself uh, from the up and down roller coaster that is our economy. So go to edgeofgold.com to get started before it's too late. Remember, we don't promote a lot of products, but when we do, it's because it's something we can really use, we really use or believe in. And again, that's edgeofgold.com. Thank you all for your support. Now, speaking of whales and sea life like those orcas, let's watch a trailer. Mysterious phenomenon and strange beings have been spotted on the sea for a millennia by sailors, fishermen, governments, and militaries around the world. But just like the existence of a giant squid was proven to be true in modern times after centuries of reports, we can't discount eyewitness accounts 
of other unexplained things in our waters today. On this Edge of Wonder episode, we're bringing you an interview with Jason Harding, a principal surveyor and former merchant marine who has inspected ships and sailed on oil tankers. Jason's experiences on the water are fascinating and range from high-pressure emergency preparedness to an encounter with something that we call a sea monster. But we'll let him tell that story because we're not going to put words in his mouth. Never anything like this. I sailed a solid 10 years and I've seen a lot of marine wildlife. It's stuck with me to this day. So without further ado, let's bring on the man with the awesome Boston accent, Jason Harding. We'll see you out on the edge. That was actually a really fun interview um, where, you know, we've got a guy from New England with a really thick accent. And he basically just tells sailor stories the entire time. And one of them is a crazy sighting that he saw on the sea. So if you guys at home haven't seen that, definitely go check it out. It's a, it was a good time for sure. Awesome. That's amazing. You found such a like classic sailor type guy. <laughs> yeah. You know, actually, uh, Simon, he, he kind of goes over this a little bit, but when those ships were being sailed into um, into New York Harbor uh, f- <clears throat> during COVID. I think it was called like the the Mercy and the other one, the hospital ships. He was the dude that signed off on those ships like before they got sent over there. Yeah. Wow, interesting. Huh. I'll have to watch that. Okay, well, so we have this uh, this uh, this creepy old change here in Toronto. Uh, I wanted to bring up here. Yeah. Okay. So Toronto is demanding the decriminalization of fentanyl and meth for kids. So, all right. What? Yes. The decriminalization. Yes, for real. This is real. This is really going on. They have released a sweeping plan to decriminalize all hard drugs, including fentanyl and crack cocaine for any age. Uh, So it's actually even more extreme than what they just did out in British Columbia. So they just did this out in BC and uh, someone took the the legal changes really far and they literally opened up a shop and just started selling heroin and like cocaine freely. That did get shut down. Uh, They they weren't quite ready to allow that, although I feel like it's probably going to happen. But this is this whole thing that criminalization doesn't deter. So let's decriminalize all of it for all ages. Uh, because they're saying that ages from 12 to 17, they're using unregulated drugs. Wait, how does how does criminalization not deter? I mean, like, this is their claim. This is their basis. I'm not going to say that they proved that claim, but this is the basis for decriminalization. Although they have excluded childcare facilities, schools, and airports from this. Fortunately, so, you know, if you're a... A 12-year-old in any of those settings, you might get in trouble because, you know, they're still trying to maintain those rules in those settings. Uh, So, you know, this is something that they, I mean, I know that there's a history of this to an extent with communism, right? There are, there are examples of, you know, government controlled drugs or, for example, like alcohol, right? Alcohol in Canada is completely regulated by the government and it's all monetized by the government, um, which is, 
I think, you know, something that does kind of line up with certain communist histories. So they're pushing this now across Toronto and they're claiming it's going to reduce the cost to the taxpayer from all these arrests that they're saying just end up costing money and going nowhere. Uh, and it, it's similar to, so like in British Columbia, it's under 2.5 grams is, is legal now there. Pierre Paulivier, the opposition to Trudeau, who is currently, you know, running to defeat Trudeau, his whole point is that flooding the streets with decriminalized and taxpayer drugs has actually increased overdoses, which is not a surprise, especially because we have so much fentanyl being like poured into Canada and America right now, right? And a lot of it is actually coming from China. So I don't think it's going to make things safer, but unfortunately, I think it's going to get a lot of support uh, in, in Toronto. Um, yeah. I'm just really confused. I well, don't be, because you have to understand, like the way that this this they they justify this is they'll go and they'll they'll create programs for social workers. Let's say so, if a social worker is working with an addict, they've kind of had this unspoken rule with the police for a long time. But let's say someone who is like sort of very low in the the you know in terms of you know they're struggling with homelessness and they have no money and they might have like serious mental illness but they also have addiction what they've been doing is that instead of arresting that person they just they basically try to get them back into the system with the social workers and the supported housing so the police for a long time have actually been looking the other way for low amounts of possession of these hard drugs if someone is like already mentally ill or homeless because their whole point has been like well what is it going to do to continuously arrest these homeless people or these people who are mentally ill and drug addicted. So this is like the example that is used to justify this, right? These particular situations, they'll, they'll uplift these and say, look, look how it's helping because should we have really arrested those like homeless people over and over and over again and had the taxpayers pay for that? So it's those examples that they use to justify this, but then they don't speak to the fact that as Pierre Olivier has pointed out that this can create more overdoses which is something that, you know, BC has had a problem with for a long time in BC during the lockdowns. Um, dude, but it's, you know, we're talking about fentanyl, dude. Like I know. this is a highly, highly toxic substance. Like if a, if an adult, a grown adult man who, who has some mass to him even brushes against that stuff, having never encountered it before, they can OD and die. Well, and we also have it being hidden in like candy and things like that, right? Like it's it's being embedded into things that are tricking people and causing people to consume it. So when you think about kids in this situation, it's extremely dangerous. It's extremely dangerous. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't. I really don't know what to do with this one. It's freaky. They're in the article here. They're 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 connecting it to the fact that they're also pushing for uh, drinks to be allowed in public parks. I don't quite agree with that connection personally. Because um, people have always been drinking you know, in the parks in Toronto. Like, not... I'll make a I'll make a counter argument here too, which is just okay. Yeah, it is taxpayers' dollars that are that are you know have to take care of constantly arresting these people. But the but the the problem with not arresting them is is rule of the jungle and and a basically complete complete chaos on the streets. And if our tax dollars are going to do anything for us, it should make us feel comfortable in our homes 
and not having crazy people on the street that could do dangerous things or stuff that could affect our children. I think our use of our taxpayers dollars is better used for that than it is just allowing chaos, you know? That, and the chaos comes from the fact that these laws, they, they kind of look the other way in terms of criminals noticing these laws and taking huge advantage of it, being like, great, now I can amp up everything I'm doing and I just have to stay within the boundaries of these new... Well, well exactly. You know, like, you know, and now you've got micro-possession going on all over the place and, you know, it's, it's a slippery slope. It is you know? the slippery slope. It's the slipperiest <laughs> of slopes. Yeah, it is. It's no, no, it, it, it's a good point. Actually, it's like you're framing it really seriously there, but, but there's no other way to frame it. It's like, no, this is that's kind of the hill to die on, right? Like, you, 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 this you have to take care of this, and if you don't, then it is it's pure chaos. Like, we're going to have, I mean, potential mur deaths. I mean, we're yeah. talking about deaths of our children. Yeah, absolutely. You're talking about 12-year-olds being able to get access to fentanyl and it not being a criminal danger in any way in their minds or in the minds of the dealer who is giving that 12-year-old fentanyl. Like if they can set up their operation so that they're just moving around the town with these little micro doses, that's not a hard thing for a dealer to set up an operation where they can... Very easy, very easy for them to sort this out. So yeah, it's like literally putting children's lives in danger. As, as are many of the legal changes here in Canada, though, frankly. You know, yeah. It's just one of many. Um, and actually, you know, for everyone at home, we're actually going to be getting into a little bit more of this insanity on Rise.TV. Not necessarily completely related to Canada, but just in general, all over, you know, North America. Some of these things that are going on that probably is best if we talk about over there. Um, yes. Yes. There's some of that. Some of the... There's a documentary, I guess we're going to get into a CBC yeah. documentary that I found that I, I had to watch sneakily because it's a CBC documentary that's censored in Canada. Um, but I'll just say that the documentary is called I Pedophile. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. And you guys can come hang out with us because I've got some crazy things I found surrounding this documentary. Yeah. And uh, so moving on right now, we're going to be talking about uh, some more UFO stuff. And then we've got a really interesting list of 10 explorers who vanished without a trace. Um, so we're going to be getting into that really soon. Um, but before we do, I'm not sure if you heard of this uh, yet, Simon, but this UFO press event to present definitive evidence of black projects. Um, I'm going to read over kind of what this event is all about it's going to offer definitive evidence of illegal unacknowledged black budget projects related to ufos the event this is it's scheduled to take place on june 12th will be presented by celebrated ufo researcher dr stephen m greer who will also be joined by several government whistleblowers including a marine who uh, allegedly witnessed a man-made uap in indonesia in 2019 so it's part of the presentation, the UFO archive of the Disclosure Project, which contains five terabytes of data on black projects and UFO sightings will also be unveiled. And Greer will reveal details of a planned RICO, which is racketeering influenced corruption organization lawsuit set to be initiated in response to illegal military and corporate projects. What I think is interesting is that this event is actually instead of it just being revolving around UFOs, I think it's really interesting that it attempts to expose black operation, black operations projects. 
Yeah, this is actually a really great angle. Uh, I'm glad, you know, I, I know there's controversy around Greer uh, in the ufology community. Sure. Some people believe that he himself is part of some kind of limited hangout. Um, I'd say that's like a huge thing to unpack. I don't think anyone could make definitive statements on that. But, you know, the angle of exposing the black ops, uh, the, these whole operations is so important because you do, you have, you seem to have like a runaway of these uh, basically defense contractors, right? Where yep. the defense contractors, uh, you know, allegedly they'll get a, a huge budget to do a government thing, but then they can just go and develop that technology on their own in their own hidden projects, uh, right? Like what is stopping the defense contractors from going and building their own private operations? Like nothing, nothing at all. Nothing. I mean, they're, I believe they're actually financed to do so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, I agree. And it's true. Exposing these is really important, especially because it really will help the public understand what's going on when they recognize how many UFO sightings are from these projects. That yes, there's the extraterrestrial question, but we're really looking at like the majority of these sightings being hidden human technologies that could change the globe. And I'm excited. I'm excited to see what they do with this because it's really important that people comprehend that, that corporate government uh, collaboration and what that really means is huge, huge. Yeah. Uh, thanks for sharing your perspective. You know, I, I really feel like there's been so much talk about this stuff over the last few years that I've kind of gotten to a place where I'm like, every single one of these events is going to be a limited hangout. Yeah. Like that's that's how I've kind of, there's always like, so much talk and then no nothing really feels like happens at all. You know what so, it feels like to me? It feels like it's just to keep it in the Overton window. Just, just to keep it in the Overton window so that they have it in there enough that they can discuss it in the terms that they want and that like politicians are allowed to talk about it. You know, it makes it yes. so that it's not so taboo so that it gives them like, like the conditions for continuous limited hangouts. Because you're right, it's been like periodically they keep bringing it back in, back into the Overton window, back into like, you know, things people are allowed to talk about without rolling their eyes. I think that's totally tactical. It is totally tactical, in my opinion. It's just the, the question still comes, for what reason is it constantly getting brought up? And, you know, okay. Here's a, here's a great example. John, John and I have been talking about this a lot on Metaphysical. All right. If you look back at the 80s and the 90s, 70s, 80s, and 90s, all of these people were extremely vocal about certain things that were going on. We had a bunch of whistleblowers coming out. Uh, we had Project Camelot releasing a bunch of stuff, even into the 2000s on a lot of these things. But recently the biggest whistleblowers that we have have been like from Google or Facebook. What happened to the whistleblowers from the black projects that were coming out and doing all of that stuff? To me, it would appear that the technology that they've been developing over the last hundred or so years, we all know that the military is about a hundred years ahead in their, in their technology. Is that technology being used to suppress information coming out? that would give us more information on what's actually going on because I've never felt more in the dark than I have right now. I mean, 
you know, if you want to know, if you want to hear the truth, you, you literally have to go back to the 90s and watch documentaries and on stuff that was happening back then to to get an idea of how some of these projects were being used. You know, when we had yeah. VHS, DVDs and CDs and people were publishing these things on their own, it was strangely a lot easier for information to get out than it is now when we're supposed to have, you know, the you know, the the holy grail of information on the Internet which is just not true, actually, you know? Yep, absolutely. What do you think about that? I'm curious. You know, as someone who was previously very sort of deep into the UFOlogy community, that's really like where a lot of my work started, right? Because I was coming from that place authentically. I grew up having sightings. I had lots of experiences myself, so I was very open to this. And so I was very deep in the UFOlogy community for many, many years, researching and sharing and doing presentations. I do feel like, there was a whole lot of chaos and division that just hit that community hard, like really, really hard. And it seems to me like there may have been operations to, to fracture any kind of unity or growing momentum that was occurring in that community as a sort of containment operation. Because you're right, now everything that comes out is perfectly sanitized, perfectly controlled. Um, and, and it doesn't it doesn't read like things used to read when these things were first being leaked. Like you really had kind of a wild, wild west of whistleblowers coming out and really pushing the limits on what they were disclosing. Um, I, I think there was a containment operation from a lot of different angles and that we're looking at, you know, a clamping down of, of the information warfare that's going on right now. Well, and so with that said, it brings us to today with, this instance of Greer coming out with this, like how, we're talking about him targeting black operations projects. How probable is it that something actually gets leaked when nothing has gotten leaked? Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Like that actually brings in this big question that I have, which is like, is, is really anything going to happen? And if it is happening, isn't it then more probable that it's pretty controlled information because it's being allowed to, to, to come yeah, out? Absolutely. That's the highest probability because we've never really seen anything break through completely. It's all been pretty well managed. So, and that's not to say that it's like Greer himself who is part no. of it. Maybe he is really going to make a genuine effort, um, but they are very skilled at controlling this. I'm trying to remember who it was. There was the, one of the one of the members of a uh, of one of the families that that ran one of the aerospace corporations I can't remember who it was you may remember he said it would take an act of god to get any of this into the public bigelow um, might have been was it was it bigelow the guy who bought skinwalker ranch he was in no. aerospace no 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 it was it was someone else um who was doing presentations i think it's the same guy who said we have the technology to take et home who was that i don't remember that actually it was someone doing it for someone from the aerospace industry who has worked with these classified operations. I would have to look Dude, it up, but I haven't heard that. Now I need to know who that was. Cause that's a crazy thing to say. That. I know. <laughs> it's like, the I remember thing. this. I have this huge like vault of UFOlogy information in me that I don't ever use anymore. Because, well, I mean, partially because it just became very impractical for me. You know, I was, so I was like, how am I going to... Well, anytime, anytime you want to come on here and uh, pull it out of you, it'll it's be true. great. I should. I should open up my vault and unpack all of this. 
Oh yeah. By the way, people are asking. They have a question. What can you tell everyone what the Overton window is? Yes. Okay. So the Overton window. There was this guy named Joseph P. Overton who uh, he coined this phrase. And the idea is that there is a window of ideas and concepts that are allowed to be talked about in the public sphere, you know, by politicians, by media. Anything that's outside of that is seen as fringe and you're not really allowed to talk about it. But more specifically, it's the, the window of ideas that are allowed to be talked about to the extent that they can then lead to policy, like actual public policy and actual changes in our social structure. And so that's what I mean. It seems like ufology, the UFO subject, is being kept within the Overton window. They keep re-injecting it so that it can be discussed, but only in the terms they want to manage it. But you'll... Because you notice, like before, sometimes it would be years before there was like any kind of really mainstream admittance to the UFO phenomenon. Now, like it's very regular, and that's how I see it. It's the, this Overton window, the maintenance of the Overton window, so that the terms and concepts they want to keep in there are are available for them to use. And I'll give you an example. You notice how they changed the terminology? It went from US UFO, UFO to UAP to UAP. Again, to me, that's about managing the terminology within the Overton window so that no longer are, is anyone using the old terms, right? They're only using the, the, the newly affirmed terms that sort of manage the concept carefully. And so all of that seems curated to me. Mm, I think we've hit on something here. This is, this is like, this is kind of at the core of the things that are going on now. And yeah. uh, again, we're not talking about any individuals here. We're just talking about the information. So keep that in mind, right? Yeah, you don't even have to accuse anyone to study psychological operations in the media landscape. You don't have to accuse anyone. You just have to understand what does a psychological operation look like? You know, they, it starts with having a, a target audience. And so like they would identify a target audience and then they would create, you know, the information in a way that it affects the target audience. They want to affect the target audience emotionally. They want to affect the way they cognize what is going on and they want that to lead to uh, a change in behavior um, you can always study the media landscape for psychological operations it's just a good exercise absolutely well speaking of uh releasing information we're about to play a trailer for rise.tv rise tv is what's bringing you this show today um, we have over 500 videos on rise.tv. It's only nine 99 a month. If you want to support our work, um, it's similar to Patreon or something like that. But instead of you just supporting our work, we actually give you all of this content in return. We work really hard behind the scenes to provide content. Actually, Simon's got episodes on there. He's got some really funny stuff, all kinds yeah. of information on there. And we've got, uh, all kinds of great stuff on there. We've got Chronicles of a Psychic Spy, all of the, um, EOW episodes that, that have been up there over time. So, uh, yep, if you can find it in your heart, please think about supporting us and let's check out this trailer and then we'll, uh, we'll talk about it when we get back. Do you have deep questions that really need answers? The brain is partially operating, not just in this world. There are yep. things connected into other dimensions. If quantum energy can affect by prayer, then haven't we scientifically proven prayer? Watch our Dig Deep Q&A segment this Friday Night Live and ask us your spiritual questions on Rise.TV. You've heard of the Mandela Effect. 
but have you heard of the Bendela effect? We were talking about Tank Man, the most famous photo of the 20th century. There's different variations of what actually happened. I don't remember that happening either. Don't miss Friday Night Live on Rise.TV. Well, Simon, thanks for joining us for this Friday Night Live on Rise.TV. I'm happy to. <laughs> well, you guys, so that was a trailer uh, just kind of showcasing some of the work that we do on Rise. We've got a lot of really cool stuff on there, uh, if you're not familiar with our work. Uh, Relics of Power, which is all about you know, Hitler's Nazis crazy search for relics during, uh, you know, World War II, um, all kinds of stuff on the secret space program and um, just endless research that we've done on all kinds of subjects that'll give you guys information to think about our world in a different way that you never have. And so um, if you'd like to support our work, you can go to rise.tv, uh, sign up for that 14 day free trial and, um, and get started. We've got all kinds of stuff on there. This Seas uh, <clears throat> episodes were really interesting. Um, and John Vivanco's uh, Chronicles of a Psychic Spy, where he goes into resolving mysteries that have just never been resolved. And uh, it's fascinating. It's so and good. I love that show. Great show. And uh, John and I now have a, a show together called Metaphysical, where we explore research and remote viewing together on the show, telling stories about all of the crazy stuff that our world has to offer. Definitely go check that out. Yes, right. so much good stuff. <clears throat> well, and Simon's gonna... got content on our platform too. I have quite a library on there. Quite a library. You can uh, you can check out my my comedy special, which is pretty good. Sixty minutes of sketch comedy, uh, me going around Toronto talking about conspiracy history in Toronto and culture. It's and really then, funny. And then my dystopian Imaginarium, of course. Yes. Which, you know, it's probably my favorite thing that I've done. Where I'm trapped in a deep underground military base with a gender neutral AI named Pamuel. <laughs> it's great. It's good times. Me and Pamuel tumble through timelines, sorting out the weirdness. It's a lot of fun because then I, I'm not even really like a lot of it, the sketches. I'm just looking at what's happening in the timeline, not even directly talking about what's happening in our timeline. So it was good. It was good. It's a uh, great concept. It's hilarious. Yeah. It really pleased me very much to do that. <laughs> and if you get to the end, you can see me duplicate myself seven times and see seven Simons from seven timelines talking to each other. Who wouldn't want that, really? That's clearly, you all want that. <laughs> so we're getting, we're getting a lot of questions about my shirt right now, so I'm going to show you what it says. It's the American Dream Son of a Plumber. So actually, I myself am the son of a plumber in real life. My dad is a plumber. And uh, this shirt, though, has a lot of history. It was worn originally by uh, the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, who is probably one of the old school vintage wrestlers of our time. Um, hilarious guy, hilarious wrestler. And uh, this is the this is the shirt right here. I used to watch wrestling when I was a kid, so I thought this was funny because it has all kinds of deep meaning. It is oh, the American wow. Dream. The son of a plumber. There he is right there. This is the, the most famous photo of him wearing that shirt. <laughs> that in the back on the left is this guy named uh, Jerry Lawler, who was a big dude back then. And I remember that dude. Yeah, he was. He became Jerry the King Lawler, they called him, um, towards the end of his career. And he became more and more zany and funny, you know, kind of 
sports casting and stuff behind the scenes, but he was a he was a badass dude back in the day. This was this was the real deal back then when they were uh, slugging one another and <laughs> wow, and yeah, that's real. real. That's not yeah. the uh, the fake wrestling they're giving her. No, this isn't. This is not. You know, and, and and I will say, you know, what I like about wrestling in general is just that it's like Broadway for men, right? It's like really a lot of athleticism and storytelling, and it's always yeah. funny. Yeah. But um, you know, back then there was uh there were some serious elbows being dropped. <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah, they're, they're serious athletes. Even though even the stuff that's become more fake, they're still incredible athletes. Oh, it's great. It's great. And I mean, actually being in shape, I've watched some training um, videos of like the stuff that they have to go through to be what they call like ring ready, like in shape for the ring. And man, it's it's beyond just normal working out or training. I mean, you, you're like muscles and ligaments in your body have to be strong enough to take the beating that you're getting in the ring on a daily basis, you know? Wow. So pretty interesting stuff. Impressive. Well, we're going to get into um, something different here is, is explorers who vanished without a trace. So, um, Simon, we'll probably go one and one here because we've got okay. a little list. Let's do it. Um, so I'll, I'll go ahead and start it off. The first is Amelia Earhart. Now, I don't know if you guys knew this, but Amelia Earhart disappeared. So Amelia I Earhart, didn't know that. Why didn't I know that? You no, know, I feel the same way. I feel like this is kind of like a Bandela effect something so amelia Earhart and her navigator fred noonan seemingly vanished on july 2nd 1937 during Earhart's second attempt to become the first pilot to circumnavigate the globe around the equatorial region the fact that neither of their bodies nor their aircraft were ever recovered is common knowledge but one theory regarding their fate is well known a newly discovered photo Suggests legendary U.S. pilot Earhart might have died in Japanese custody and not in a plane crash in the Pacific. If true, this would solve one of aviation history's biggest mysteries. Earhart vanished, as we said, uh, uh, 1937, flight over the Pacific, and her disappearance has been a breeding ground for speculation ever since. Uh, this photograph from the 1930s shows a figure that could be her taken on then, Japanese Marshall Islands shows a group of people standing on a dock. The label on the photograph says it was taken on Jaluit Atoll in Marshall Islands. Sorry if I mispronounced that, you guys. Presumably by a U.S. spy. The link might seem thin, though, to the legendary pilot who, five years before her disappearance, had risen to fame as the first woman to fly solo across the Atlantic. The claim is that one seated person with her back to the camera could be Earhart, while another figure on the far left in the photo is said to be Fred Noonan, her navigator, on that last flight. On the very right of the picture is a blurry section, which it is claimed shows Earhart's plane. Huh. Interesting. Wow, that's fascinating. That looks like her. It could be. It could also be an be. Asian woman, though, with short hair, but. Hmm. Hmm. Has it been solved? And why didn't I know that she disappeared? I know. <laughs> I, I feel like I knew that in a distant past, but uh, my brain has a lot of overflow. Yes, fair. Someone okay, asked, well... uh, Rob, have you ever watched Star Trek Voyager? I watched Star Trek Next Generation, but I just couldn't do Voyager. 
I drew the nope. line. Me neither. No, nope. yeah. I was all about next generation. It was tough after that. Uh, yeah. Nothing and really I got close to it. Yeah. And to be fair, I didn't, I wasn't a gigantic fan of next generation, but I definitely watched my fair share. I, I'm a huge nerd for next generation. That's cool. Yeah. I've rewatched the it. series many times. <laughs> I just, you know what it got me was like, uh, Worf just kind of storming in and out every episode on things. <laughs> and then you had like this like ridiculous love affair between Riker and uh, that woman, the psych psychic woman. Yeah. And it was just like, and then I, I just like every episode, I just wanted to scream at the TV, like data, just like change a little bit. You know, <laughs> you know actually I do kind of line up with what you're saying because the episodes that I always skip are like the really cheesy romance ones, especially with yes. Riker or Deanna Troy. Oh, the Deanna Troy storylines are terrible. And anything that was like a pure wharf episode. Eh -eh. I couldn't do it. Done. It was like, no and, and it was like, he was just so rigid. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. um, and kind of annoying to listen to. And it, I feel like, Every time I'd watch, it'd be one of those episodes. And so oh. I just like get disinterested over time, you know? Yeah, you got burned. You got burned. There are great episodes there. <laughs> it's rough. All right. Why don't you hit two or three here? All right, let's do it. Uh, Gaspar and Miguel Corte Riel. In 1500, Gaspar Corte Riel became one of Portugal's most accomplished explorers. That year, he led an expedition to Greenland. Sure, he thought the icy shores belonged to East Asia at the time, but it was an impressive journey nonetheless. After going to Greenland and then hitting what may have been Newfoundland, two of the fleet's three ships returned to Portugal, including the one captained by his brother, Miguel. Gaspar's vessel, however, never made it home. When Miguel learned that his brother was missing, he organized a rescue mission to find him. They searched the area where he was thought to have ended up but there was no sign of the lost explorer. Once again, all but one of the fleet's ships returned to Portugal, and this time it was Miguel's ship that never made it back to port. A third brother, Vasco Anes Corte Riel, was willing to launch a second search party to recover his lost siblings, but the king of Portugal denied his request. Oh, man, these brothers. They're yeah. struggling. What? It's a rough, that's a rough story. I mean, the, the king denying their request to go find you like your family. Like, you'd never yeah. forgive that king. That was yeah, why, why, what was the king's agenda there? I don't understand. Why doesn't he want the, the discovery? Well, I mean, maybe it was it, how much money it was going to cost to go find all of these guys. And it's like, well, y'all decided at, you know, at the risk that you knew you were getting yourself into to do this. Mm -hmm. every one of you is disappearing. How many times can I actually in good faith, keep sending out all of these people who are putting themselves in danger to go find a couple of people who could be lost completely. Maybe he was just I like mean, Vasco Vasco. We all know you're going to disappear too. Okay. <laughs> you know, yeah. I think it's rough being the King. Like yeah. you're going to get criticized no matter what you do. And you have to think about everyone without any thanks for what, what decisions you're making. And I don't you know, know when this lines up, but Portugal at one point was a world power. Oh, totally. They were huge. Like, yes. it's crazy considering little Portugal. Like, that was an epic time in history for that little, little country to be a world power. And I'll tell you, you do some researching on this, and you'll find that some of the first secret societies pop up in Portugal. Oh, I didn't yeah. know that. Not a lot of people know that, but if you... 
if you go look into, you know, what was happening leading up to the French Revolution and the secret society's actual history, you'll find the French Masons very powerful and then secret societies in Portugal, very powerful. And there's loads of evidence of it in Portugal that you can actually go visit yourself. It's pretty crazy. Actually, that kind of makes sense. If anything's going to be a world power, you're going to find those groups. Really. I think so. That yeah. makes sense. That makes yeah. sense. Okay. Let's move on. All right. So, um, yeah. So the Knights Templar were in Portugal as well. Thank you, Lindsay. Oh, yeah. You know, you can just chime in. We love to hear your voice, by the way. Anytime. Anytime you want. Thank you. I'm, I'm multitasking. Sometimes I'm not quick enough to hit the button. <laughs> all good. So, all right. Number four and five here is uh, Vandino and Ugolino Vivaldi. So uh, the Corte, the Corte, how did you pronounce that? Corte Reals weren't the only well-traveled siblings who disappeared in their travels. In 1291, Genoese brothers Vandino and Ugolino Vivaldi became some of the first European uh, explorers to set sail in search of passage to Asia. After entering the Mediterranean Sea through the Strait of Gibraltar, their expedition was never seen again, which is weird because the Strait of Gibraltar is, I mean, a lot of weird things happen in there. Actually, Lindsay, can you show people where that is? Um, maybe a close-up of it. But basically, this is weird because, you know, this is the part where Spain almost kisses Africa. Hmm. Right there. Uh, so it kind of, you just kind of wonder, well, you know, was there someone oh, down geez. there in Morocco attacking or whatever, you know? Pirates maybe got them. The pirate scene is probably unimaginably real, yeah. uh, you know, for us. Oh, man, that's rough. Now, you know, before we go on, I'm kind of curious, like, do you think, why do you think there's all of these people missing when they go to explore things? Do you think that there's anything deeper revolved around this? Well, I mean, on the on a very foundational level, the ocean is like what we have explored the least on Earth. Like we know so little about what is going on in the ocean. I think you have that that initial phenomenon. But then you do have lots of other like really weird possibilities. Like there's a. Uh, you know, there's all sorts of theories about portals opening up at different points on the Earth according to the geometry of the Earth and the stars and the galaxy and that there is some sort of system that enables this to occur. If that's true, uh, you know, that's a possibility. You know, last time I was on the show, I talked about, um, what are they called? The, the group out in Italy. Um, they, have, they have like a, a, a society right now and they have that huge temple, the Temple of Humanity in the mountain in Italy. What are they called? I'm forgetting. The, about oh, Vesuvius? Like the, the Vesuvius? The mountain in Italy? No, 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 no. There's a group. Uh, there's a group right now, and they have the... I, I might have to look it up, but they, they have a temple they carved out of a mountain in Italy. Like, this is modern. This is a modern group. I, oh, I haven't seen... I don't remember this. So they, they carved this huge temple out of uh, a mountain in Italy, but they did it in secret. Ah, uh, Dominher. That's what it is. So the, the people of Dominher, uh, they, they, they were founded by this guy who claims that he opened up a portal and it was a portal in time or 
sort of in time, but it, it essentially allowed him to go back to Atlantis. And he took someone with him. And this guy that he took to Atlantis painted everything he saw. And so you can go and look at the Dominurian paintings of what this guy says he saw in Atlantis. But I'm pretty sure I remember the, the guy who founded Dominur saying that the opening of the portal had to do with the alignment of, uh, of, of energy lines on the earth according to shifting geometries. And that's what enabled them to walk through this portal, go to Atlantis, visit Atlantis, study Atlantis, and then come back. Uh, and apparently this happened in the temple, in this temple that they have inside this mountain in Italy. So That's I don't so know. weird because, you know, John and I just did a show, which hasn't published yet, on the Dragon's Triangle in Japan. And the entire conversation revolved around that area being this insane hotspot just for the same reasons that you just brought up that the temple of Dominher kind of covers like that general story where yeah. you've got a, a strange recipe of energies that are kind of all crossing at the same time, which creates a, 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 a phenomena. And, and, and you've got these things happening all over the world. They're called the 12 vile vortices. One reportedly is the dragon's triangle, another the Bermuda triangle, for instance, and, and now you've got these anomalies where the electromagnetics, the tectonic plates and the, the uh, amazing amount of pressure and um, electromagnetics being affected are causing anomalies where these types of things can happen. See, this is what I mean. So why wouldn't there be phenomena like that in the ocean that is potentially disappearing some of these people? That seems, you know, reasonable within that that spectrum of theories, especially when you consider that some of these, they line up with like cycles of time, different cycles of time. Some of them are shorter cycles of time. Some of them are much longer cycles of time. So you could also have something that opens up once every like, you know, 2,500 years and others that open up more frequently. You know, you got a lot of variables going on. there. You really do. You really do. And the other thing I think that's really interesting to talk about is if you've ever looked at Marco Polo's account of what the world was like when he went exploring. It was the Wild West out there. I mean, we're talking about like crazy. He's seeing dinosaurs, cryptids, crazy giants, like all kinds of stuff that he's reporting. And, and this isn't a stupid guy making stuff up. I mean, I, I you know, we've got to get away from from hating on historical figures that openly talked about these things, you know, just kind of brushing them off, thinking they weren't intelligent enough to, to tell, you know, a, a normal creature from something that was bizarre and that should be described in a different way. And, and also so many of these seafaring adventures where the crew captured something, brought it on ship and attempted to describe it in their, in their journals. And that were just writing off saying like, well, couldn't have been real, even though there's drawings in here, you know? Plus, you look at these guys' writings and their vocabulary and their capacity to intelligently describe ideas, and they are more intelligent than a lot of people today, you know? It's like you look yeah. at someone, you know, of the same age exactly. writing today, and, like, they cannot string together concepts and words and linguistics. And, like, I think some of the advancements in uh, in someone's ability to write and to articulate concepts that does measure a lot of their intelligence. So to say that they were just kind of like goonishly not understanding reality and here we are at the peak of understanding is like, yeah, I think that's kind of backwards. 
it's totally black. It's totally backwards. So, um, all right, we'll power through the rest of these real quick, and then we're going to be going over to um, to Rise.TV. So right. Percy Fawcett, um, unlike the other explorers on the list, Percy Fawcett was searching for something that's never been proven to exist while mapping the Amazon rainforest in the early 20th century. He became convinced of the existence of an ancient jungle city he dubbed Z. There's been movies about this. So he had confidence in the mission, but he also had the foresight to request that no one come looking for them if they didn't return. His wishes weren't honored, unfortunately. In the decades since, the team disappeared. Over 13 expeditions have tried and failed to find them, leading to the deaths of an additional hundred or so people. Whoa. As for what happened to Percy Fawcett, some theorists are optimistic. Legends tell of the explorer getting lost on purpose and forming an occult commune in the Amazon or perhaps assimilating into a local tribe. Love this story. Oh, yeah, the occult commune. That's a really good one. I'm just going to go with that one. <laughs> right. Okay, let's should we jump to John Franklin here? Yeah, we'll do John Franklin, and then we'll go straight into uh, the stuff that's going on with China. All right. In 1845, explorer John Franklin left Britain with more than 100 crew members in search of the Northwest Passage. His two ships, the HMS Terror and HMS Erebus, disappeared in the Canadian Arctic, making the Franklin expedition one of the most infamous doomed voyages in history. Later oh. investigations determined that the vessels had become stranded in sea ice. After Captain Franklin died suddenly in 1847, his surviving crew abandoned the ships and set off to get help on foot. For decades, it was thought that the ships and their crews had vanished without a trace. Then in 2014, Inuit and Parks Canada archaeologists discovered the wreck of Erebus in Victoria Strait. The terror's remains were found off King William Island two years later in Terror Bay. Oh, man. I mean, they Man, think about how much time it took them to find these ships. Like these, these were lost for, I mean, hundreds of years. Forty-five, yeah, yeah, it's eighteen forty-five. That's massive, crazy. All right, so we're gonna skip over to stuff going on uh, with China here. So Xi Jinping tells China's national security chiefs to prepare for. Worst case scenarios. Hmm. I mean, yeah. Uh, I'm always so skeptical of like what Xi Jinping lets us hear about what's going on. You're, you know? you're, you're exactly hitting on, on this. It's like, you know, I always, whenever he says anything too, I'm just thinking about the art of war here. Yes. When you're weak, appear strong. When you're strong, you appear weak. Yeah, absolutely. I always look at China as like like an information vault. Yes. And they very carefully let information out only when it serves them, only when it's tactical. So like whenever you're hearing, especially in mainstream media about what's happening in China, it is what they want you to believe is happening in China. Yeah, and like, if they can't skew something that props up the Chinese Communist Party, you know, they won't talk about it or they'll they'll hide it. So even if they find if there's archaeological finds, it has to then prop up the Chinese Communist Party somehow or put them at the forefront for finding it or whatever it is. It, it yeah. has to be that way or else it's it's a non it's a non starter. They won't even they won't even talk about it. <laughs> 
yeah, the, the, the narrative they have to maintain is extremely rigid. Extremely yeah. rigid. Oof. All right. So, you guys, we're about to leave Rumble, Facebook, Ganjing World, Twitter, and everywhere else we're streaming and head over to Rise.tv. But be sure to join us as we get into some of the conversations we can't have anywhere outside of our private platform. Tonight, Simon is going to share some of his research he's been finding this week that will probably completely shock you to your core. So join us on Rise.tv for just $9.99 a month and support our work. You'll get to ask us your questions during the live Q&A. And don't forget that your support lets us do these deep dives and bring you the truth that the censors don't want you to hear. Now check out this trailer, and then please join us on Rise.tv. A vast secret history. A lost ancient civilization. An empire they tried to erase. Tartaria's hidden past is just as fictional as Atlantis. Or is it? Humanoid giants. Magical creatures that shouldn't exist. Dogmen. Centaurs. Magicians. And evil spirits. Why did the Soviet communists remove all traces of Tartaria from their books? Why was it so important to wipe Tartaria off the face of the earth? Take a glimpse into the truth of the past. You were never supposed to know. So did Genghis Khan's ancestors and the Tartarians really discover America? Was Tartaria a global civilization? Forgotten maps. The journals of Marco Polo. Ancient structures. Evidence of advanced technology. Edge of Wonder brings you Tartaria. Tartaria. That was a good one. You looked into Tartaria that much, Simon? I have not. I have not done my own dive into that. I, I think those shows, like if you have some time, the shows that we did kind of give you a pretty good overview. You know, I was at a map shop.